You are listening to the Hello Sport Podcast. What is up, punters and dribblers? Welcome back to another episode of All Talk with Tom and Eddie from the Hello Sport Podcast. And we're back yarning. We're back yarning this week with a rugby league legend, a rugby union legend, a unfortunately Queensland origin legend, uh, the one and only Matty Rogers. was very excited for this yarn. Um... He and we sort of speak about it a little bit in there, but like he is uh, for us, like he was a he was a legend of our youth, right? Where like where you looked 100%. up to someone and they were like godly and they were older than you. Now it's like you see a fucking twenty five year old killing it. You're like, I'm really like I can't I can't idolize Reese Walsh. No, I he, can I can be impressed by his physical attributes and how hot he is. Yes, Matty Rogers came along at just the right time, at least for me. That's when I was really loving my rugby union. Yeah, I was. I was frothing on it. And the Wallabies were great. We'd won five bleds in a row, six bleds in a row. Obviously, the World Cup happened. We don't talk about that. But Matty Rogers is a big part of that, mm. right? He was around in that era. And for me, it was always one of the cool cats. Mm. So to be able to sit down and yarn with a cool cat yeah. of our era, of our vintage time. Yep. What an honour. What an honour. Punters and dribblers, here is Matty Rogers. Thank you very much for coming on. It's, yeah, uh, cool. it's, it's an honour. It's an honour and a privilege. Pleasure. We've been big fans of yours. You are, you were, you know, one of the great players of our, like, when you were a kid, you know, when you really sort of idolised players and looked up to players, you were one of those guys back in the day. How, um, how do you look back on your on your career as now, what are you, 47 or something? Sorry to bring that up. But like, how, <laughs> how do you look back on those yeah. on those times uh, and reflect as a as an old an old boy? Oh, mate, I, I, I don't really. I mean, when certain things come up, like, like, you know, I mean, we've got the Blood is Low Cup coming up. So, you know, everybody sort of harks back to 21 years ago, the last time we won it. And, you know, I, I normally get dragged out and it's not a bad junket, actually. Um, maybe, I should, maybe I should hope that the, the Wallabies never win it again and I'll keep getting the uh, call-up. Um, yeah, I, I, I've got to be honest, I, I don't really reflect too much. Um, I'm sitting in a room at my house now and I've got a lot of jerseys on the walls that sort of give me a lot of fond memories. I've got a few of my dad's jerseys up and stuff and uh, it's pretty cool. I feel privileged to have had the career I had and it's always nice when you meet a fan and he comes up and says, oh, I love watching you, or I supported, you know, the Sharks because of you. I was at, I was at Henson Park on the weekend watching Newtown play at the Beer, uh, Footy and um, Food Festival, and there was about 15,000 people there, and there were a lot of old Sharkies fans, you know, talking about the old times. So there's times when it pops up, but I don't sort of sit back and think, oh, gee, I was good. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> sort of, boy, I'm just grateful. I'm, yeah. I'm just grateful for the opportunity. You know. Can do you? Uh, can you tell a rugby union fan as opposed to a rugby league fan when they're coming up to say good day? Can you like spot them a mile away? Where you go, oh fuck, there's some RMs on that bloke. He's probably coming to talk about rugby unions as opposed to uh, to rugby league. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you certainly made a difference. There's a, there's a different style of fan. My wife, <laughs> my wife. When I when I met my wife, she she. Um, I was playing for the Waratahs and I invited her to a game and, you know, she came along with a few of her girlfriends and they got all dressed up and, you know, they, they went into sort of like a private suite and then we had the, the reception after the game in the SCG members um, and it was, you know, really, it was pretty posh, you know, it was pretty nice and then, um, you know, we started travelling around 
um, the world and, and, you know, she'd come to, you know, test match at Twickenham and the post-match function, there's, you know, Prince Harry and Prince William and, you know, they'd say day, and it was just sort of like part and parcel of her introduction to sporting life and she wasn't into sport at all. Um, and then I, I brought her back to rugby league and she said, you, it's like you've taken me from Ramwick in the members to the Dapdo Dogs, like what have you done to me? So um, it's, certainly, <laughs> it's certainly a bit different, but um, very passionate fans, the rugby league fans. Yeah, big time. They sure are. You, you, were, you were mentioning just before we started that Manly got the win over the Sharkies. Are they still close to your heart, the Sharks, or are you more of a Titans man now? Oh no no! I'm a shark. You can you can see up the top there. That's that's my old man's uh, Dally M jersey from 1981. Um, um, I'm uh, I'm a, I believe black, white, and blue, mate. I, I love I love the Titans. Don't get me wrong. I mean, but you know, given the history um, of of my family and you know, sort of grew up running around on Shark Park as a as a you know, from from when I can remember, you know, chasing dad and the footy around. I, uh, I, I, I went back down to Shark Park on the weekend. It was really nostalgic, you know. They asked me to speak to the team before the, um, the Steve Rogers Cup that they play against Manly. Obviously, it had no effect whatsoever. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they asked me back next year. Um, but yeah, they had the worst first 40 minutes they've had all year. But um, I, I, I just, I, when, I, when I went out onto the field... Um, before I talked to the team on the Friday, Wade Graham was out there and he, and he had his two little boys running around on the field with him. And it just took me back to being that little four-year-old and, and the dream of, of playing for the Sharks and following in my dad's footsteps. So it was, a pretty, um, yeah, it was a pretty special few days to be down there and around the Sharks uh, in, in what is to my family an incredibly special game. Um, but yeah, as a... As a as a, as a kid that dreamt of playing for the Sharks, it's hard to then to go, oh, you know, I played for the Titans for a few years and now I want to be a Titan. <laughs> I do feel like the Gold Coast is home, though. I grew up, you know, I, 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 I left the Titans. I, I, sorry, I left, I left Sydney when I was very young, so I was about sort of nine years old, and I, and I spent, you know, all my formative years in Queensland and grew up in Queensland. And, you know, in those years that you just really remember, you know, running the muck as a teenager. And um, so the opportunity to come back and play for him was great. And, you know, now live here with and have done for the last, you know, 18 years with my with my wife and kids. So it's been great. You, you're talking about, uh, you know, the dream to play for the Sharks. And obviously your old man's career is doesn't need to sort of be explained. He was a legend of the game. What's it like chasing, like chasing that dream that is it like and being in the shadows of your old man? when you're trying to do it, did it feel uh, like there was extra pressure on you to do so? Did you feel that pressure or was it just like, was footy always, I guess, were you allowed to just enjoy the game as opposed to feeling like, holy shit, I want to do it because dad's done it? Uh, I, I was desperate to do it. I'll, I'll tell you, like I, my, my old man didn't have too much input on my career as a kid. Um, he was pretty busy uh, and, you know, he was, he was a bit of a lad, so he enjoyed his time with the boys. And, and to be honest, <laughs> I, I reckon he probably came and watched me play half a dozen times. Like it was just the way it was. Oh, okay. um, but I was desperate to get his attention. So I was all about, um, you know, trying to play well so he'd give me the, that attention. It was quite a um, bizarre sort of setup, but... In, at the end, like I just wanted it really bad, so like I, I didn't, I didn't feel the pressure. What I felt, I felt people knew who I was when I'd rock up to footy games as a kid. Um, but I thrived on it. I, I really embraced it and thought, "Yep, I am Steve Rogers' son," and you'll see, you know. And 
Um, it wasn't anything that um, put me off, but I, but I'll tell you this: I, as a kid, I, I I researched a lot of like I just loved footy, so I researched a lot of players, and you know had a lot of favourite players and. Um, what I did research was how many father and sons have, have done really well or has, has a son ever been as big as his dad and I, and I just found that no one had and, it, and, it, and that did worry me and I'm thinking wow well, maybe it's not meant to happen that way but I was determined to sort of try to I mean I, I never reached the heights of my old man in, in rugby league um, you know to, to captain Australia and, and win the Dally M it's, it's, um, it's a pretty you know special honour and you know, obviously had the talent to do that. Um, I never reached those heights, but I feel like I sort of got reasonably close. Um, Absolutely. You know, Steve Rogers was, you know, in my opinion, should be a, should be an immortal, but uh, probably not having that premiership next to his name is probably the thing that um, held held him back on that yeah. front. When it, uh, when it came to State of Origin, how did that go down with the old man? Because... That was a bit of a fuck you to dad, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that up, the old man. No, I'll tell you how it happened. So, so, um, so Wayne Bennett. So I'd played for Queensland my whole life, right? So I'd played under twelves, under fifteens, open school boys, all for Queensland. Um, and I felt like that that was who I was. What what a lot of people don't realise is my old man grew up in Queensland too. So, so he played his first first grade game for the Gold Coast Tigers, which is now the Southport Tigers. Played in the centres in 1972 uh, when, the, when the Gold Coast Tigers won the Premiership. Outside him was a sprightly uh, young flying winger by the name of Clive Palmer. Um, mm. he's not, 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 anymore, not, but, um, not, no, he's, not, he's, wait, is that the Clive Palmer, yeah, Clive Palmer? Yeah. Yeah, f- no way. So he's whacked <laughs> him on. Oh, well, yeah, he's, <laughs> he's whacked him on. He's yeah, letting yeah, go. He's yeah, letting yeah, go. Yeah. Whoa, I did not know that. No. Nah. Yeah, so, so my old man as a, as a 16-year-old was playing first grade for up here in Queensland. And my, oh. my, my grandfather, he actually was a big St. George fan. My, my uncle, my dad's brother, who's about 12 years older than my dad, got signed to play for St. George. And he went away to Vietnam and came back not the same and unfortunately took his life. And it was a horrible story. Um, my, my old man um, and my, 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 my grandfather was a big St. George man. And he took my dad at the end of that. Well, at the end of that season, my dad had met my mum. And my, my grandfather said, I, I want to take you to Sydney. And dad didn't want to go because he didn't want to leave my mum. You know, they were 17 years old at the time. And, and my, my grandfather said, you know, I'm taking you. So my mum and dad ran away. They, they sort of basically ran off and they, they couldn't be found. And my grandfather found my dad and said, I've, I've got to get you to Sydney, mate. There's an opportunity for you. And um, he said, well, I'm not going if I can't take my wife. Uh, I can't take Carol. And um, he said, well, you can't, you're not married. He goes, well, I'll marry her on my 18th birthday and you can take, and I'll go to Sydney then. So they did. They got married on my dad's 18th birthday and they, they went to Sydney. Um, well, it was the day after my dad's yeah. birthday. They weren't allowed to get married on his birthday. So they got married the day after my dad's 18th birthday. My mum was a born and bred Gold Coast girl. She was one of 13 kids. So I've got about 4,000 cousins in Queensland. <laughs> um, when the opportunity came around to play for Queensland, well, well when State of Origin first started, the, the reality was my old man should have played for Queensland, mm. um, given the fact that he played his first first grade and stuff yeah, like okay. that. Yeah, so he's um, actually he's so, actually the problem so here. Wayne not Bennett you. Knew, yeah, yeah. So my, yeah, so Wayne Bennett uh, called me, and he knew the whole story. He knew my family history, obviously, and and he asked me, you know, who I'm going to play for, and I just sort of said, 
well, I didn't think I had a choice because Dad played for New South Wales. I thought I was going to be forced to play for New South Wales. And he said, no, mate, that's not the case. He goes, you've got a choice. And he goes, and if you want to play for Queensland, I'll pick you now. And this was two weeks before Queensland, where, where, where before the Origin sides were going to be picked. So I'm like, oh, that, that sounds good. Uh, let me, uh, he, said, don't, he said, don't tell me now. And out of respect to my family, like Wayne said, don't tell me now. Ring your dad and ask your dad. So I rang dad and I said, dad, Wayne Bennett rang me and he wants me to play for Queensland. He goes, well, why wouldn't you? He goes, you've never played. So you've played for Queensland your whole life. He goes, your mum will be over the moon that she can actually support the state where she was, where she grew up and all your <laughs> family's up there. And so I'm like, yeah, you're right. I'm, I should play for Queensland. That's, that's where my heart is. And I, I played, I, I rang Wayne back and I said, I'm in. And he said to me, <laughs> he said, right. He goes, well, you're in the side. He said, unless... I hear about it from any from someone else. So I'm a 21 year old kid, just been told I'm in the Queensland side, and I've got to keep it quiet for two weeks. The most, the person I was worried about the most was the old man. I'm like, he's going to screw this. He's going to screw this for me. He's the CEO. He's going to tell someone. Wayne Bennett's going to find out about it. He's not going to pick me, and then New South Wales will never pick me. So um, yeah, it was, it was a nerve wracking two weeks, but um, we made it, and uh, yeah, I ended up playing for Queensland, which was which was amazing. So I actually remember um, I, I didn't I didn't tell mum, um, and I told dad not to tell mum because I wanted to go and see her and tell her that I was going to play for Queensland. And my my mum she was she had cancer at the time, so she she was um, sick. And for her to hear me tell her I was going to play for Queensland, she just broke down in tears. It was it was a pretty special time. So. Um, yeah, it's something that I, I if I, if you ask me to do it again, there's not even a, a second thought in my mind. It's um, you know I'm playing for Queensland every day of the week. Yeah, that's awesome. That's it's that's a that must have been a wonderful thing to be able to like experience to be able to have. Yeah, I mean to play. I mean my first game was at the old Lang Park, you know, in 1999. Um, you know to play Origin there and. You know, we won the game nine eight, and I kicked a winning field goal, so it was sort of um, yeah, it was a pretty pretty cool experience. How old were you then? Uh, I think I was twenty two, maybe. Shit, that's pretty um, hectic, hey! Kicking the winning field goal. Twenty two. Would have been twenty three. Would have been twenty three. Twenty three. Yeah, it, it was. Um, yeah, it was. It was insane. Like you, you think you sort of can handle it all. Um, it got to the point, you know. Like I remember coming back from the game, and the pilot of the the plane was a Queenslander. Uh, and I had to fly back to Sydney, obviously. And he invited me up to sit in the cockpit and fly with him and stuff. And I'm like, got the controls of this jet with 200 people behind me. He's like, you can do it, mate. You can handle this. You can handle Origin. <laughs> that, was, that was before the days of, um, before the days of you know, not allowed in the cockpits and stuff like that. So it was, it was insane. <laughs> but it just went on for weeks. And I was just like, no more. I don't have to tell the press guy at the Sharks. I don't want to speak to anyone anymore. Like, it's too much, you know. Like, um, it knocked me around a bit. Unbelievable. So when did, when did Rugby Union come knocking on your door? And how did that all go down? Um, after the 2000 Rugby League World Cup, um, I knew Wendell was going over. And, and I, ha I had um, I had this sort of um, I, I'll tell you this: if if rugby union was professional in 1994, I, I don't think I would have ever played rugby league. Ah. Um, I played Australian schoolboys in 1993. I loved playing rugby. Um, had the best four years at, at boarding school at TSS. Had had the best bunch of mates. 
you know, I'd experienced what rugby had to offer. You know, we'd, I'd travelled around the world and, um, you know, playing rugby and I just, I just really enjoyed it. Uh, come, you know, end of 1993, I had no offers on the table at all from any rugby league clubs because I was off the radar. There was no social media like there is today. It was, and I didn't have a manager and I was just sort of, you know, playing rugby, you know, doing my thing. And um, I, I actually had my first 15 coach, a guy named Gary Nusifora, who's an uh, cha- absolute champion of a bloke. He goes, what are you going to do? He goes, are you going to have a crack at league or do you want to stay in rugby? I said, I want to stay in rugby. So he took me around to a few clubs and I think um, up in Brisbane. And, you know, there, there was a, it was a pretty standard response to every meeting. Because I always thought, you know, like, yeah, they say it's amateur, but I think they're going to pay people. I think there's some stuff going on behind the scenes. And... <laughs> Every club I went to, it was like, you know, we, we, we really want you to come play at our club. Um, obviously, we can't offer you any money, but, you know, this is certainly a job. Well, you know, what do you like to do? And I'm like, oh, wow, this isn't going the way I wanted. And I ended up agreeing to, to well, well, internally, I'd, ag- I'd agreed to go and play for GPS in Brisbane, uh, Jeeps, and uh, uh, it seemed like a really good club and... You know, I was keen to go and play there. A few mates that I played for Queensland with uh, uh, were going there. Um, so I thought, yep, that's that's where I'm going to head. And then, um, yeah, I'd sort of, I don't think I'd told them that at this stage. I just sort of like internally sort of thought, yep, that's that's what I'm going to do. And then um, Tommy Bishop, you know, ex-Cronulla, um, captain coach in 73, is the one that graded my dad. Out of respect for my dad. So mum and dad were living in Darwin at the time and Tommy Bishop would come and watch because um, dad, dad didn't want to speak to any rugby people because he didn't like the game and he, he wanted to speak to someone he trusted to see if I was going all right. So he spoke to Tommy Bishop and Tommy, mate, Tommy was hard as a coffin nail, mate. He was tough and I'd play pretty well and he'd go, mate, you missed this tackle and, you know, you got to... I'm like, right, So he'd speak to Dad and anyway, after all this had sort of gone down, Tommy and Dad were speaking and, and Tommy said to Dad, is he going to Cronulla? And, and Dad said, no, I haven't spoke to him. And he goes, have you spoken to Cronulla? He goes, no, I haven't spoken to Cronulla. And he goes, well, I'm going to ring him. So, he, so Tommy rang Cronulla and said, mate, um, what, are you, what are you doing with Sludge's boy? And they said, oh, well, where is he? What's he doing? He goes, mate, he just played for the Australian schoolboys in rugby. I think he'd love to come back to the Sharks. Yeah, so Tommy Bishop called the Sharks and he, um, he just basically said, you know, what are you doing with Sludge's boy? And, and they, Sludge's my dad, obviously. And, yeah. And they said, oh, we don't know. And he said, well, he's just played for Australian schoolboys. You should try getting back to the Sharks. So they, they gave my dad a call and, and then dad called me. And um, he, he made a deal with them for, for both myself. But, but the kicker was um, when dad, because I was still pretty keen to stay in rugby. But the kicker was that he said, mate, and, and they've signed your brother too, Don. So they're going to take you both down to Cronulla um, for the 1994 season. So that was like, yeah, I'm in. I'm all in. Punters and dribblers, as always, we are brought to you by the primo betting platform of this great nation of ours, and that's Neds. Big fans of Neds. We love Neds. They uh, have been huge supporters of us, huge supporters of everything we do over here, and we love them. Now, Eddie, if you're a punter or a dribbler and you want to engage with the community on Neds, how are you doing? It's very, very simple. Either you can follow Tom and I... It's even toddler if you're a loser. You can follow our profiles in the Ned's profile section, but I think a 
greater use of your time is to join the about even group under groups now the code to get in is dribbler if it's not dribbler it's dribblers forgive me there you can follow all our tips me shebos gurus burmos sometimes tobler but again who cares about him it's a great community environment where we tip winners we tip losers mostly learners losers but sometimes winners that's it shout out to neds now what's gambling really costing you for free and confidential support, visit gamblinghelponline.org.au. Punters and dribblers, you voted with your, with your mouths, and Good Day has been popular with you all so far. Thank you very much to everyone who has uh, got around it, sampled it, tried it. But there's plenty more to go around, and we, we, we believe in this thing, the daily multivitamin, and we think you all should have a go. There's more gullets to be pounded. Correct. You know what I mean? Like, if I'm looking at, if I'm looking at the gullets of this nation, not enough gullets... Full of good day. That's right. For mine. Well, listen, we see it. We we see we see gullets that need to be filled, and we are in the business of filling gullets. I'll say this, Ed. We've been on it for a while now, and it helps uh, with mental clarity. It helps with energy throughout the day. Uh, it helps with liver cleanliness and function. Which we, I health. know, I know. There's a shitload of you that need that. There's I a know shitload of you out there. for a fact. You need a good scrub of the internals. Correct. I know that. For we sure. know it. now. If you already got your own multivitamin that you're taking, don't bother changing. We're not asking you to change. But if you can you, if you want. You can, but you don't have to. But if you do nothing, if you do nothing for your health, then you've got to start somewhere. Now, if it's a run for you, that's great. But your nutritional health is something that we all fucking ignore. Good day is an opportunity for you to make smart decisions. The least you can do is a little good day. Use the code dribblers for 20% off, punters and dribblers. 20% off. It's our gift from us to you. BeGoodHealth.com.au. Yeah, so you know, the kicker of the deal was that, I, that my brother um, got signed too. He was playing up in Darwin at the time in the first grade comp up there and just won the premiership and um, he was 20. Uh, he got an opportunity to come down and play under 21s in, in 94 in the President's Cup team for the, for the Cronulla Sharks. So, yeah, it was a, it was a, I'd never played with my brother, um, obviously being a few years older than me. Um, so the opportunity to go and play with him uh, was sort of, too good an opportunity to pass up. Yeah, definitely. It but but what I'll say is, I still had, I still harboured, I still harboured those desires to sort of go back and, and play rugby and watching my teammates that I played, you know, Queensland and Australian schoolboys with succeed on the rugby field, um, just gave me that desire to want to go back there. And I didn't think it was sort of possible. And then Wendell told me he was going to rugby, and I thought, wow, that's interesting. Um, so the opportunity sort of came up um, through me me actually reaching out to, to Rugby Australia. Ah, okay, interesting. I, I just I do want to keep going on the rugby train, but I just wanted to quickly ask because like you're you come into first like into professional sport, right? And you're doing professional rugby league, and then how long is it before you're sort of thrown into the chaos of Super League? Like, you're not long into your professional career, right, before you're getting, like, before this whole shitstorm I'm, starts. I'm one game in. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was one game in. <laughs> one, <laughs> one game? game. I had one game of, of NRL, or ARL it was back then, and um, the second, I think it was round two, we played in WA, and, yeah, we got picked up off the field, Um 
straight up the race of the of the wacker, straight past the dressing room door, out the back, and there was a bus waiting. Our bags were on the bus. We were told we're not going to the dressing room, and we thought, yeah, how good is this? Like, I, I know we just beat. I mean, we beat the Western Reds. It wasn't like we beat the reigning premiers. So I thought this is a, <laughs> it's a pretty decent sort of celebration for um, beating the Reds. Um, you know, you travel with rugby league back in those days. You're staying at the, the Flag Inn or the you know the, the local motor inn. You're not staying in you know Sofitels and nice hotels. So we ended up going to the Sofitel in um, in the middle of Perth. Go in there. They've they've got key room keys with us, our own rooms, so we couldn't talk to anybody. So it's like go to your go to your room get dressed and come down to this uh, function room, which is like on level two or whatever. And so we all sort of go and you know, get shouted. And we're thinking, oh man, it's a party. Let's go, we, we celebrate, you know. And we, we go down there and we walk into the room, big, big round tables. And in the, in the middle, there's big tub of, uh, big, those big silver tubs full of ice and beers. And mate, we're all making stuff all. So we're all like thinking, how good is this? And the club's putting beers on and stuff. And then it, then it starts and then, Ken Cowley and, and Shane Richardson come out and give us the spiel of what Super League's going to be. Um, and Rupert Murdoch's, you know, starting a new league and the Sharks have, have agreed to, to participate in that new league. Um, we as players don't have to go, um, but, you know, that's that's what the Sharks are doing. So it's up, it's up to us. Um, they'll negotiate a new contract with us if we want. And um, then AT got up. E.T. and Les Davidson, you know, our two senior players who'd already signed with Super League, um, unbeknownst to us, and gave us their spiel about what they're going to do. And, you know, I was, what was I? I was, I was 95, so I was 19 years old. And I'm thinking, what is going on? Like, well, I just want to play for the Sharks. It's, you know, I'd worked my butt off for 12 months there trying to get the first grade. I'd finally made it. And then, um, you know, one by one, they took us into a room next door. Um, and you know, by the time I got in there, I was six beers deep. Uh, <laughs> I was so lightweight, so I was, I was blind. But I'm struggling to focus on the people talking to me, let alone the contract they put inside in front of me. And um, yeah, they offered me. I think they offered me. I think I was on. I was on forty grand at the time. They offered me a hundred grand uh, for the next year, a hundred and twenty, and then a hundred and forty, oh. like escalating. And they put it in front of me, and like I'm on, I'm on forty at the time, so I'm like thinking, and this is back in, you know, start of '95, so it's decent money, yeah. and I'm thinking, wow, what's happening here? Like, and then the kicker was, you know, if you sign, like this deal will be on the on the table for you tomorrow, but if if you sign it now, here's this check, and they held out this check for me, and it's made out to me for twenty five grand. Oh. I, I was on forty, so it's more than half of what I was on. I'm, and I'm just sitting there. I'm trying to ring my old man, and my old man's in Darwin. Like he's running the league up there, and like, he was out on the piss with his mates. So he's like not taking my call. Uh, and I'm like, what do I do? You know. So I just signed. I'm like, ah, oh, stuff it. I'm signing. I'm Twenty-five grand. Um, <laughs> my old man, like, we we get on a plane and we fly, we fly back the next day, and there's just like. The media at the airport was insane. Like, it was unbelievable because we, we were, like, one of the first teams that had signed. I think it was us and the Warriors. And they got us all super cheap for what they were expecting uh, based on, you know, the, the response from the Australian Rugby League. And my old man was ropeable, like, ropeable that I'd signed. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, Dad, I just, like, Dad, I just, 
I've just tripled my money. Like, what, what are you talking about? How, like, as if you wouldn't have signed it. And he was, he was talking, like, we were really good mates. Like, Dad was only young at the time. Dad was about 40 at the time. So he wasn't, he was a young dad. And, and he, he knew the game and he knew that the, the ARL weren't going to stand for it. So he was, he was like, nah, I'm not, I'm not having it. And he was filthy on the Sharks uh, for not including him in what they'd done with his son. Mm. So he goes, we're going to the ARL. You're going to meet with the ARL. I said, Dad, I don't want to. I, I want to play with the Sharks. He goes, no, no, you're going to meet with the ARL. I'm not going to stand for what they've done. And Dad could be a pretty sort of dominating figure in my life. So I was like, all right, I'll go. So I go in and have this meeting and I'm sitting in the ARL and Frank Stanton, who I was terrified of because my old man was coached by him as a kid and all I can remember Dad calling him was Cranky Frankie. So I'm like terrified of Frank Stanton. So I'm going, going to this meeting and I'm sitting with Frank Stanton and, and, and Frank rings my dad on, on speakerphone. So dad's in the, in the meeting from Darwin on speakerphone. I'm sitting there with Frank and Frank tells me, you know, tells dad, look, you know, we'll guarantee the money that he's been offered, um, you know, if he comes back to the ARL. And, and, but, but if I come back to the ARL, I can't play for the Sharks because the Sharks are going to Super League. So I, don't, I didn't want to do it. And I'll never, I'll never forget, like, sitting in this negotiation room and Frank Stanton leaving and me being on the phone with dad and me saying to dad, dad, I don't want to. I don't want to go back to the ARL and play for another club. I want to play for the Sharks. He goes, "Don't worry, mate." He goes, "There's some really nice places to live out at Parramatta." And I was. <laughs> uh, That's why. And, and again, this is you've played. You've played one game of NRL here, right? Like, is this? This is one game. That is insane. And. Um, so, not, so, so how's this for negotiation skills? My old man negotiates a deal for me that's the same that, that I've got, the same, not, not more, the same that I've got at a place where I want to be for a club, to go to a club where I don't want to be for the same money. So like, at least get me more money if you're going to send me to Parramatta or send me to you know, somewhere else. Um, and it didn't, uh, and, and then Frank left them and they, they said the, the deal was done like, I'm sitting there thinking, do I get a say in this? Um, Frank walks out of the room and, da- and Dad's like, all right, we're all good. Um, they're going to draw up the, the deal and we're going to sign. Um, Dad hangs up the phone. Frank walks out of the room. Gus Gould walks in. And Gus sees me and he's sort of shocked to see me sitting there. He's yeah, like, what are you doing here? I'm like, oh, my dad just chatted with Frank about uh, me coming back to the ARL. And he goes, what, what are you talking about? I said, oh, he goes, what, what, what do they agree on? I said, oh, he just agreed that they guaranteed the money that Super League had guaranteed me. And I'm like, no. Nah. He's like, no. He's like, no. Nah. He goes, that's not happening. He goes, we're not guaranteeing anything because there's not going to be a Super League. And I'm like, oh, oh okay. And, and I just got up and walked out. <laughs> and um, it was pretty abrupt, Gus. And you can imagine, so, like, he's a passionate league man and, and he was trying to save the game. And I, but I was just a kid and I was just terrified, you know, like I didn't know what to say and it was pretty upsetting and I, and I, and I left the meeting and I got downstairs, got in my car and I rang dad and I said, dad, I'm staying with the sharks. I'm not, I'm not leaving the sharks. Like I, I'm, you know, I, I sort of told him what happened, you know, when Gus came in, he's like, right, he goes, all right, well, let me call Reeves. So he called John Rebo and he says to Reeves, Reeves, my son, um, sign under duress. I'm, I'm going to get him out of the contract unless we sit down and we 
we chat again. And he's like, right, mate. He said, we really want your boy. So let's catch up at, you know, Sheraton on the park for, for dinner. We'll fly you down. We'll get you in the meeting and we'll, we'll sort something out, you know, to keep your, keep your boy at the Sharks. So um, Ken Cowley, John Rebo, and Peter Mulholland was there as well um, for some reason. I'm not sure why. I think it was because they were, they were planning on trying to get my dad down to the Western Reds from Darwin and Peter Mulholland obviously coached over there. And um, so they brought... You know, I came into this meeting with Dad. We rock up. I'm sort of nervous as hell. And we walk into um, the Sheraton on the park into the restaurant and we sit down. And no lie, we, we sit down and before we, I'd even touch my water, um, John Rebo says to my old man, Righto, Sludge, let's get the elephant out of the room. Um, you know, what, what, are, what are we going to have to pay to keep a young bloke at the Sharks? And my old man, <laughs> without even... Taking a breath, says two fifty. <laughs> literally, like Reeves. Reeves looks at Ken Cowley, and Ken nods his head, and he goes, "Right, I done. Can we enjoy a good meal now?" <laughs> <laughs> wow! wow. I'm, <laughs> I'm literally nineteen years old. Like two weeks ago, I'm on forty grand. Um, <laughs> And the, the, the crazy thing, like my whole man these negotiation skills, right? Um, <laughs> we, we walk out and my old man's kicking himself. He's like, mate, I could have said 500. <laughs> <laughs> I probably could have. But yeah. remember, you know, a couple, <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, I was on 40. So I'm, I'm pretty happy, you know. Like, it was, uh, yeah, it was a crazy time. I didn't, it, it was nuts, eh? Like some of the stuff that was going on, like you look back on and shake your head and think, yeah, like I mean, I think in the end, like everybody, everybody won, sort of thing. So yeah, well, that's what I was going to ask. Like, but do you look back on that kind of yeah. positively now? Like, in the sense, and I guess it's what you're saying. Everyone won. Like, although it was chaos and it was a shit fight, like you know, it, it was. It kind of sounds fun. It sounds like it was fun, even though it was a bit sort of cowboy. It was fun, all right. We. Um, we were getting limos everywhere and there was functions laid on and, you know, everyone was trying to woo the players and it was, um, it was pretty crazy. And then, then when we got shut down, I, I remember going to these meetings with these big player groups and, and they're talking about, oh, we're going to run our own competition, yeah, yeah. you know, and we'll get the referee. I'm just sitting there thinking, who, who, someone's on the crack pipe here. Like, there's no way we're running our own competition. We're footballers. Like, <laughs> like who's going to run... Who's going to run a comp for us? You know, it was um, it was crazy, but um, yeah. Anyway, it ended up getting going, and you know that one year of turmoil turned into what now is, I think, you know, the best product in Australian sport in terms of you know for a TV product. You know, rugby league um, is fantastic. So yeah, it was a it was a win for everyone. So did these outrageous Super League contracts, did they carry through into what is now the NRL? Or did you all have to take haircuts after the fun and dance was over? Oh, no, it never went backwards. Um, the, the limo rides stopped, but, um, you know, <laughs> we'd always, you know, bitch and moan about the way we were travelling after Super League because it was like you know, cab charges <laughs> and, um, and, and buses. Uh, <laughs> My old man would say, mate, it's not Super League anymore. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, it, uh, it was pretty crazy. But, yeah, no, no, the contracts never went backwards. And, and that, 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 in essence, sort of shows that, you know, the players, the players got what they deserved. Um, you know, the, the game obviously generated the money. Mm. So, 
and and the people that were missing out were were the players and and prior to that the person who there was one person winning it was Kerry Packer he got the cheapest TV rights deal he was making a fortune off all the advertising uh, and the TV rights and the players were the ones who were the the product were the ones that weren't getting paid what they deserved um, so in in the end. Um, you know, the, the players got what they deserved and, and I think it's, you know, they continue to do so. Like, I'm always, you know, always for the players, you know, getting, like, it's a hard job, you know, like, it's, I know people look at it and it looks glamorous and it is, it's, it, you know, it's certainly a privilege to be able to play in that space, but it doesn't just happen. I mean, how many people do you know that, you know, were guns as kids and like, oh, yeah, oh, he would have been great, you know, but it's in, but nothing. The guy didn't do the work and he didn't make it because he wasn't good enough. Mm. That's why he's not there. Mm. If he was good enough to make it, he would have made it. It's hard. It's hard on your body. It's hard on your, your social life. It's hard on your relationships. Uh, it's hard, you know, in, you know, living in the public eye. There's a lot that goes into being an NRL player. So when people say, oh, they're greedy and they get paid too much, like I, I disagree. I don't think they get paid enough, you know, in terms of what sport generates. Um, and what it does for you know the, the human psyche, what it does for the public, um, I, I think um, yeah, I, th- I think it's starting to get better, um, and I think it'll continue to get better. I mean, you, we're, we're certainly not in, in in the market of an American sports market where you see these ridiculous contracts based on the population support of the sport. But um, you know, I love I love to see it growing. I love to see the players rewarded uh, for their efforts, and um, yeah, I think we should applaud them for that. Let's move on from the play thing. I just wanted to quickly, uh, last thing around Super League, I wanted to ask: as yep. you didn't, as you didn't win that grand final, are you sort of like happy if everyone takes it off the Broncos because it was a split competition, and, and we will also take it off the Newcastle Knights? Like we both had a, you know, it was a, it was a fuck time for all of us. I'm happy just to wipe that those two premierships from the record books. <laughs> wipe you completely. Yeah. Um, uh, you know what? It's my. As much as as much as I'm a I'm 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 a shark, I do have a soft spot for Newcastle. The way that they get behind their fans, I, I just and, and the fact that they beat Manly, um, I, I'm happy to cop the loss. Sorry, mate, Not we lost you, but I did hear you basically say that you didn't want to wipe it because you like Newcastle. And I guess I would just say to that, it's been lovely to talk to you, but I'm going to end the interview right here. Uh, let's wrap it up. I'm dirty, actually. <laughs> Well, mate, I, I've got to say, you know, I'm, I'm one of the I'm one of the many the many um, rugby league fans that support their team, and then anyone else who's playing manly. So, uh, particularly the fact that Canada lost yeah. to Manly uh, twice in the seventies, in my old man played in the grand final. So, I, I wouldn't want to take it off Newcastle just for the fact that it was Manly that they beat. Yeah, yeah, well, that's look that that is fair. I uh, um. I'm uh, loath to remind you of the score on the weekend, Matt, but uh, <laughs> I would do that anyway. <laughs> um, do you want to get back into rugby union, Ed? And it continues. <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah, let's get back into rugby union, Matt, if, if we can. <laughs> I wanted to ask uh, a personal question. What's it like drinking a beer out of the Bledisloe Cup? <laughs> yeah, it's hard. It is hard mm-hmm. because it's very wide. So when you pour it up, it, it tends to all go on your shoulders and in, a little bit in your mouth. So, um, mate, it's a big mm-hmm. thing. We tried to fit George Gregan in it. We almost got him completely in. But, um, yeah, there was one piece hanging out, and it's very big on George, so we couldn't get that yeah, in. Yeah, we've heard about that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, 
I'll let you guess what that is. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah no, that, that story's done the round. Yeah, the old sure. kickstand. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, but, yeah, but on the Bledisloe Cup. 45 degree angle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if, what, what do you reckon you would have said if someone had said to you and the boys after 2002 that by 2023 we still haven't won it again? I, I I wouldn't have believed it, um, but yeah, I, I mean, look the way things are going, there, there needs some significant change for it not to be another twenty years. So um, yeah, yeah, New Zealand are just a powerhouse, and we went through an era where you know we had some phenomenal talent in our team. You look at the the likes of like some of these players that are going to be you know the best ever. You know your Johnny Hills, yeah your Matt Burks, your Todd Ikefus, your Steve Larkins, you know, the, the core of that side, the George Gregans, the core of that side was a, was a pretty unique uh, bunch of talent. And, you know, I was just fortunate enough to, to be a part of that group for a small period of time. Um, but, yeah, you know, I think they got the right man at the helm to, to wrestle it back. It's going to take some time. If there's one thing that Eddie Jones can do, it's create an upset in world rugby. I mean... You know, he got Japan to beat South Africa. Like that, that, I mean, that's unique, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's a yeah. bigger upset than Australia beating New Zealand. So I, I think they've got the right guy at the helm. Uh, it's going to take a little bit of time. He's still trying to work out who his team, who, you know, who he can use, who he needs, where he, where he needs to fill some gaps. Uh, unfortunately, he's got to do it on the world stage because there's no other place to do it when you're the, the Australian coach. So... There's going to be a few teething issues early, but, you know, I'm happy with the guy that's running the show. Have you found it difficult to maintain an interest in rugby union given its sort of unfortunate descent into a little bit of irrelevance in the sort of general sporting psyche in Australia? Uh, it has been tough, I've got to say, and the fact that, you know, they, they chuck the game behind a paywall makes it even tougher because it's like, well, do I want to pay to watch it? Like, is it, yeah. is it worth paying to watch it on TV at the moment? Um, the, the, you know, look, I know the guys that, that you know, I've, I've visited Wallaby Camp, and, you know, I've, you know, I'm in touch with, you know, people that are, you know, well and truly engrossed in the game. Phil Ward and the CEO is a great mate of mine. Um, I'm, you know, I'm going down to Melbourne to watch the game this weekend. Um, they've got some work to do. There's, there's no question. Um, but, you know, I, I feel like um, I, I feel like what they're doing is is smart in relation to um, you know bringing back your Will Skeltons and your Richie Arnolds from the French from the French League to to play over here. I, I feel like they're making some decisions that's going to make our national side stronger. The reality is, you know, the players that play over in those leagues over in France. Um, you know, in, in the UK, they're tough week in, week out um, competitions. Uh, we sort of lack that a little bit in Australia. And if we just say that everyone's going to play in Australia if you're going to play for the Wallabies, means we're going to have players that aren't as battle-hardened and ready to play on the, on, on the world stage. So I'm happy with them relaxing the laws. I think they're starting to make some decisions to, to bring our Wallabies back to a, you know, a, a dominant nation, you know. I think we're eighth on, at the moment in the world on, on the rankings, which is which is not ideal. It's probably the worst we've been ever. Um, but I feel like they're making the right decisions to turn that around. And look, the ultimate marketing ploy for any team is win. 
No, that's it. Like you win. No one cares what else you do. If you win, people want to start to watch you. People want to get behind you and they want to cheer their national team. So they're just going to start winning games. Um, Doesn't matter how they do it. Um, You know, you got to push the barrier. I mean, if if you're not, you know, on the edge of cheating, (laughs) like maybe even stepping over the line a little bit, um, you know, you've got to find a way to win. That's the reality of it. Um, You know, I'm not saying go out there and cheat, but you got to put, you got to be right like on you. the edge of everything. <laughs> you got to push yourself. Yeah, well, you got to push it. You got to, I mean, far out. It doesn't happen just by being the nice guy and getting the job done. I mean, you know, Richie McCaw, one of the greatest open side flankers to ever play the game, you know, he's the loveliest human being, but, but he lived his footballing life on the edge of what's legal and what's not legal and you know got called out by people saying oh he cheats well mate no he's just living on the edge and that's how you got to that's where you got to be if you want to compete and you know uh, us as australians need to live on that edge and give ourselves the opportunity we we sort of have a little bit of a different take here at hello sport we're of the strong opinion matt and surely you can agree (laughs) with this that in order to win, we need more rugby league players in the side. It's as simple as that. Yeah. I mean, I'm not ruling out 10-plus <laughs> rugby league you know, players coming over for a couple of reasons. They're better footy players, first and foremost. No offence. And secondly, <laughs> yeah. it's bums on yeah, seats I, I, and it's I, I, eyeballs on screens. That. Yeah, I, I'm, not, I'm not ruling out the fact that they need, um, they need cattle. And, and where do they get that from? I mean, you, you consider like the two nations that, uh, you know, in the Southern Hemisphere that are the strongest in South Africa and New Zealand. Like, that's all they do. Like, rugby league's its second cup, poor second cousin in New Zealand. And rugby league doesn't exist in South Africa. Everybody plays rugby. Um, we've got rugby, rugby league and AFL to compete with. I mean, you could, you, could, you, could you imagine if we just had rugby union, how strong it would be? Um, the fact is we don't. So we've got to compete with the other codes. Um, but Eddie, Eddie will get the players that he wants. Um, you know, I'd love to see Payne Haas playing number eight for the Wallabies. Same, I'd love dude, to see... Uh, It'd be you know, so good. Cameron Murray playing number 12 for the Wallabies. It'd be devastating. But it, 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 as a rugby league fan... I'm, a, I'm only just like, stay the fuck away from my manly players. Don't take Trebojevic. Don't take, they're looking at Kula. Like, you can take whoever you want. Because I, I was a, like, we're rugby fans here. The idea of pain at number eight, like, almost Todd Ikefu vibes, where you're just like, yes, yes, please, give me that. Oh, mate, could you imagine? Um, and, and look, at the end of the day, rugby people can say, we need to develop our own players and yeah you do you absolutely do and you know the, the the gps school system is a breeding ground for nrl stars it's like they're all there but the gps school system recruit young rugby league players because they don't care about league or union they just want to win their school competition and then they leave there and they go and, and they're prepared for a professional system um to go back into rugby league uh and there's not a, there's not, a, there's not as many opportunities in rugby union in australia there's there's only four sides professional sides and and then there's the wallabies and, and rugby league has so much more to offer in terms of opportunity so um they do tend to have to come and buy them back uh, at a higher rate than what they would if they developed their own but if they want success now um which they're screaming for because we haven't had it for so long 
they're going to have to spend some money and they're going to have to go and get the Payne Hussey. They're going to have to go and get the Cam Murrays or the Angus Crichtons of the world who have got rugby backgrounds, uh, who were through, came through a rugby system, who uh, won't take long to, you know, jump back into that program. Yeah, definitely. Um, just quickly, because we, we sort of, I think the last little cutoff we had, uh, or the main one where we had to stop for a second, but you had just started talking about how you approached rugby yourself. What was the reasoning behind that? Were you sick of rugby league or were you just, did you always want to, once rugby had gone professional, we'd won the World Cup, like did you just have that rugby union itch that you wanted to scratch? Uh, I had an itch to scratch. There's, there's definitely, that's why I approached rugby, but there was also a little bit behind um, where I was playing at the time. Like I was playing on the wing for the Sharks. I was a fly half in rugby union, so I played Australian school boys at fly half. And now I'm playing on the wing. Mm. And I just knew I had more to offer a football team than being on the wing. And I got a bit sick of just carting the ball into a line of forwards off you know, kick returns. Mm. Um, I knew I had more to offer. And I, I spoke to Chris Anderson and he was the incoming coach at the Sharks and my contract was up. I said to my dad, I want to speak to Opes before I sign anything. And to Opes' credit, like I, I, said, I just said to him, I said, mate, if I stay here, where are you going to play me? I said, because I don't want to play on the wing. And he goes, mate, if you stay here, he goes, you, you're one of the best wingers in the country. He said, I'm not, I'm not going to move you. Like, that's where I want you, you know. Um, so I just decided pretty much then and there I wasn't going to be playing for the Sharks because I, I knew I had more to offer. So I had to sort of, and rugby was, was a, a great alternative. Um, I didn't really want to play against the Sharks at the time. Like, I, I really loved the Sharks. My dad was the boss here. I didn't want to go to another club. Uh, rugby, um, a friend of mine named John Dunphy, who he acted sort of as a, as a quasi-agent for me because I didn't have one. I said, can you speak to, you know, Rugby Australia? So he, he, he got him into a meeting and Jeff Miller just put all the cards on the table and there were a lot of cards, you know, mm-hmm. the money, the, the, the travel, the opportunity to play in a different position. Um, so, yeah, at that point, I just, I, I basically, in my mind, agreed that, yeah, I'm going, I'm going back to rugby. Um, Dumpy said, oh, do, you, do, you want to, do you want me to talk about money? I said, oh, I, I just knew I'd... And, and I didn't want to, I don't want to sound arrogant. I just knew I was going to get paid wherever I went. Like if I went, if I stayed at the Sharks, I was going to make good money. If I went to rugby, I was going to make good money. I was in a position in my career where money wasn't really the issue. It was like, what do I want to do? And the, the rugby, the rugby thing looked very attractive. So to go back there and, and, you know, I met with um, Eddie Jones. I met with uh, Bob Dwyer. They didn't want me to go to Queensland because Wendell was in Queensland. So Eddie was the Brumbies coach. Bob was the New South Wales coach. I really connected with, with Bob, uh, Bob Dwyer. Um, he, he sort of had some ideas around where I'd mm. play. He wanted me to play fullback. Um, I knew they had Matt Burke there. So I'm like, mate, you've got the best fullback Australia's ever had at, at fullback at the Waratahs. How are you going to make this work? He goes, no, I'll speak to Burke. I think he'd make a great outside centre and I think fullback's your position. And Berkey, you know, to his credit, you know, was all about the team. He said, mate, I'm happy to move to 13. He goes, you can, you can play fullback, I'll teach you. And he took me under his wing. Eddie was, well, Eddie was a bit aloof when I met with him about the Brumbies because he, he knew he, he was taking the, the Wallabies job, so he couldn't talk too much about right. what was going to happen at the Brumbies. So it was just an easy fit for me to go to the Waratahs. Um, but, yeah, it was in the end, you know, I, I, I did this whole sort of around-the-world thing to – to get back to rugby league playing five eight where where I I wanted to play initially, and the thing that that pissed me off the most was I, I played South 
uh, for the Titans. And I played 5-8 and we ended up winning the game. And John Lang was the coach at the time. He was the guy that put me on the wing and wouldn't take me off the wing at Cronulla. And I love Lang. And, and, you know, but he came in after the game. He said, mate, I made a, a huge mistake. He goes, I, sh- I should never have kept you out there. He goes, after what I saw tonight, you, you should have been playing 5-8, you know, 15 years ago at Cronulla. <laughs> and I'm like, thanks, mate. But, you know, that doesn't help me. The fact that, you know, I've had to, you know, like if I was playing 5-8 at the Shark, I probably never have left. So, yeah. Yeah. But the rugby opportunity was huge for me. Um, you know, I loved it. And uh, yeah, it gave me, you know, a... Certainly, a different lifestyle. You know, met met the very different fans of rugby to the rugby league fans, and yeah. I guess my wife got to experience um, rugby fans as opposed to league fans initially. Not that I don't like league fans are great. They're no, of course, fans. but uh, they're very different crowd. Did you see? We were just talking about this on the podcast yesterday. Um, RM Williams, um, and we can cut this out if they're a, a sponsor of yours, Matt. But RM Williams are selling. Uh, a rugby ball online. It's vintage for a thousand dollars. Just to give you a little insight into their their sort of finger on the pulse vibe of like what you know the average Australians into. Uh, RM Williams selling a one thousand uh, dollar vintage football. <laughs> yeah, wow, um, mate. It doesn't matter what you got any interest in buying it. Yeah, no, no, I don't. Um, one thing that I know: if any football ends up in my house, regardless of whose signature's on it, um, what where it comes from, how much it costs, it ends up getting kicked around in the backyard, left out there, the dog chews it. Um, so that $1,000 football would be no good for me, I can assure you of that. <laughs> um, you were, you, sorry, uh, you, you also like, you had a few boys come with you to, to rugby union in terms of you had Dell and Lottie at the same time. Did you know they were all coming? Did you guys like, did you speak to them? What was that like? I didn't know that Dell was coming over. I didn't, oh, sorry, I knew Dell was going over. He, he'd signed before me. Um, but I, I sort of like I was involved in the recruitment a lot. He like he, he was he was sort of um and an arm where to go and uh, in terms of coming to the Waratahs, I mean. Um, so yeah, he, he came over a year later, and I, I just really wanted to get into the Waratahs because I knew he'd be a great asset to the team. But um, to have those three guys, to have those two guys with with us over there, uh, it's funny. Like the fans were, were pretty receptive to us. But I felt like at times, like the admin wasn't, like the admin sort of, you know, they, they were happy to have us over there to get the eyeballs on rugby, and you know, it was good for them in in relation to that. But I, I, I honestly, like, there were times when I've been in Wallaby functions, and you know, I felt, you know, and I'd been out, you know, I'd, I'd been a Wallaby function after a game and feel like, you know, I was sort of like the the redheaded stepchild of, hmm. of rugby, you know, like I was sort of like on the outer. Um, but then I'd go back to a Sharks game, you know, and I'd been left, I'd been, I'd been gone for three years and go back to a Sharks game and felt like, um, you know, I was so welcome and, you know, that was, that was home. It was, it was, it was different. I, I, I left rugby. I left, I left rugby league. The, the tribalism just really got to me. Like being, you know, Matt Rogers, there's a number of reasons, but, you know, being Matt Rogers, uh, Steve Rogers' son, living in Cronulla, you know, it was like a real fishbowl. And it just, it was so intense. Um, you know, Cronulla's, you know, probably a bit like Manly. Like they're just all about their team. Everybody plays footy. Everyone wants to play for the Sharks. And it just became a little bit, a little bit much. Um, you know, after mum passed and it was just, I just wanted to get away, you know, like from that tribalism and that sort of fishbowl mentality. 
And then when you go to rugby, it sort of lacks that. And then, and then after years of being in rugby, you sort of realise how special rugby league is to have that tribalism, to have that those little pockets of Sydney that are just so all about their team. And then you go onto this world stage and you sort of miss it. And, and well, I certainly did. And no one have no one. There's two sides of the fence, and knowing that I had a choice, you know, after five years of being in league, it was just you know, uh, my dad had passed, and I, I just I'd been away from my you're you're away from your family for so long. Um, I just wanted to get back to being close to my family. Uh, you know, all my family was in Queensland. Um, mm. You know, and I just wanted to to get and and, and my you know. I wanted to be closer to my wife and kids. Um, you know, you travel three, four months a year with rugby, you're, you're away from home. So it was a, it was a, it's a tough gig. Um, for the guys that do it, like your George Gregans and your James Slippers, you know, 100 plus tests. But I have the utmost respect for those guys because, you know, it's a tough road. It's not easy. Mate, we, we saw a quote from you the other day uh, in regards to what we refer to them as DMCs, Dirty Merger Clubs. So that would be in regards to the West Tigers and the St. George Dragons. <laughs> we we see them as sort of almost a little bit inbred, really, as clubs. Um, you were saying that you don't think they'll last. Can you elaborate on that? Oh, I, I don't think they can They can thrive um, as a – like a, they've just got to get it together together. You know, that's, that's the reality of it. It's um, – like you look at look at both St George Illawarra and the West Tigers at the moment. Um, it's like there's well, well from from reports, right? There's two warring factions in there, or you know, or the board's not operating, you know, efficiently to 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 complement the football club. Um, I think you know, in, in clubs like that, there's a, there's a lot of snouts in the trough, and um, you know, no one wants to give up their their spot. At the trough, you know, like they, they're like for the betterment of the club because mm. it's, it's their club and they're as passionate about as about the next guy. But sometimes people have got to back away, and um, you know, for the betterment of the club as a whole, uh, put the right people in, in, the, in the right places, so to speak. I could imagine uh, it being very tough um, at those clubs, and you know, until they've got someone who can control it all, and, and they've got, you know, you, you think of this, right? Look, look at look at St George. They had a guy running the club, St George Illawarra, I should say. They had a guy running the club who's probably one of the most astute, you know, one of the greatest coaches ever. Uh, he, he knew what he wanted. Um, he probably got full reign to, to get what he wanted, and he did it, and they won a comp. Um, he leaves. They've, they've not had someone in there of that stature since, and they just haven't been able to get it together since. Um, probably too many people trying to pull strings down there. Um, similar at West Tigers. I had a guy running the club who, you know, one of the most astute coaches in the game, unbelievable football mind, you know, running the club, um, winner comp, he leaves, and they've never been able to really get it together since. So, you know, I, I don't know what the answer is, um, but it seems like, you know, those sort of clubs, um, yeah, I, I don't know who's calling the shots. I do, I will say this, like with West Tigers, I, I'm, when I listen to Lee Hadjip and Talis talk, I feel like that they've got it, they've made a decision to move in a certain direction and they're backing that decision. Now, 
they've, they've been like uh, Pascal and, and Lee's been there for a while and maybe if this doesn't work then they have to fall on their sword and go alright well that, that was our last throw of the dice and it didn't work So, but you've got to give it time right so the, the Benji Sheen thing you've got to give it time mm-hmm. um, it's not going to happen today um, you know it's probably not going to happen next year it's probably going to be the year after when they start to get all their pieces in, in, in a row in, in line um, with St George um, St George is well, they've made their decision now. Their decision is, you know, Shane Flanagan's the guy to turn this ship around. Now, if that doesn't work, you know, it's it's been just as long, you know, 10, 12 years or whatever since they've had any sort of success. Um, the, 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 does the board there or does the CEO there got to fall on the sword and go, all right, well, we made the decision and it was wrong. Like, at what point do you look beyond the coaches and go, it's a club thing, it's not a coach thing? Like mm, when, when, yeah. But you know, you, you gotta. Um, I mean, with St George, there's been calls for years about the board and and, and this and that and the Oust Oust campaign and all that sort of stuff. It's a mess. It's a mess. So I, I like Flano. Um, you know, obviously, you know, he coached my beloved Cronulla Sharks to their one and only premiership. Um, he's a he's a very strong personality. I know he's had his issues in the past. Um, he's done his time. Um, I think he could be very good for the St George Dragons. I think he needs um, a different playing group to get the results that he needs, that he, that he wants. But I think he's a strong personality that can, can run things. Uh, at St George, uh, I mean, at, at West Tigers, you know, they've made their, their decision. Like, who, who knows where it's going to be in a, in a couple of years. But they, they've, they've put it all into, into Sheens and Benji, with Benji taking over. Uh, is Benji the guy for the job? I don't know. I mean, he's, mm. he's he's never coached before, so we'll know in a couple of years. And and if in yeah. a couple of years it's, it hasn't worked, then they need to. Uh, I think the powers that be need to maybe step aside and go right. Oh, that was our last roll of the dice because they can't go. Oh, give us another three or five years. Well, that's the thing, down. though, right? Like the the way that the Tigers have done it is by almost concocting this thing that's so bizarre. That it's like, oh, this is, we're going to need another five years to see whether this thing fucking works. So, like, get off our back for five years and then judge us then. It's like, yeah. they've just, it's genius. It's genius. <laughs> they've found a way to buy themselves five years of just like, we're going to get a guy that's never coached. We're going to bring back the coach we sacked and who's, then who's now like going to be the scapegoat. But Benji might be coaching behind the scenes. Hadja Patelis is on TV wearing a top hat. No one knows what's <laughs> going on. Like, it's, it's a, it's a dastardly it's plan. <laughs> He does speak well, but he sort of speaks. He speaks well, but like he 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 runs you around in circles a little bit, which yeah, I'll get real dizzy. A, yeah, you get a bit dizzy. But, but I mean, I did I did enjoy his uh, three sixty appearance. That's for sure. Yeah, well, at least he's fronting up, right? Uh, yeah, he's, he's, he's getting in front of the media, and you know, um, at the end of the day, like you, you're not going to turn a struggling, crappy club. Um, it's been doing awful for 12 years around in a season. Like, unless you're the Roosters, um, yeah. they tend to be able to do it. Yeah, it's yeah. funny how they tend to be able to yeah, do it. Yeah, yeah. Buying them all. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they, well they, I, I remember in 2009, uh, they got the wooden spoon. In 2010, they made the grand final. So, yeah. Um, it's interesting how yeah. that happens. It's interesting yeah, how that works. They can work it out. Mate. 
Um, look, we, we really appreciated uh, your time. Apologies for the uh, the tech fuck-ups. Uh, we honestly could have yarned for a, a bloody long time. We barely, we didn't get to a lot of things, but it was it was great to talk to you. We, uh, we really appreciate it. And as I said at the start, you're, uh, you're one of the, the legends of our time growing up, and uh, it's been really nice to have a yarn and have you on. How old are you, blokes? Oh, 34 for me. 32 and 34, mate. So you, yeah, you played oh, when yeah, the world yeah, felt right. Yeah, we were. I remember sitting on the couch. Yeah, yeah, I think as a thirteen-year-old watching Johnny Wilkinson break my fucking heart. But uh, in that World Cup final, but like oh. you know, sharks. I yeah. it's it's funny, and I mean, there's no way. Uh, I always find it funny when you see people go up to like celebrities and stuff, and they're like, "Oh yeah, do you remember that time I met you at this random fucking park in like the nineties? And they're like, <laughs> "No, I don't." But I did yeah. meet you once at the Easter show when I was like six years old. And you had peroxide blonde hair and you were with your family. And I'm like, what's up, Matt Rogers? Do you remember that, mate? Yeah, do you remember it? Uh, I, I, got, I got a good one the other day. I was walking across the – I went my, – my family were up from uh, – my cousins were up from Sydney. And they were staying in the Tullabudra Creek Caravan Park, a beautiful little park on Tully Creek there. So I took my kids down. And, and anyway, I had to walk across the road to go and uh, get some drinks. And walked across the road, and this car stops in front of me, like holding up traffic. And he goes, Matty. And I'm like, Hey, mate. And he goes, We're friends. And I'm like, and I'm looking at him in the car, I'm thinking, How do I know this bloke? And I said, Where, where did I meet? He goes, No, on Facebook. We're friends on Facebook. I'm friends with everyone on Facebook, mate. Get away. Oh, mate. Dribblers, dribblers. That is dribblers. Mate, thanks anyway, again, I, man. I again, it was uh, it was great to chat. Uh, and uh, ah, uh, well, screw you then, eh? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Thanks Good for the time, yarn, please. mate. No worries. We can do it again another time if you wanna wanna. Yeah, mate. We'd love to. Could you two just not talk anymore? Partners and Dribblers, just need to tell you about uh, the number one rosé ever created. That is uh, Big Day Rosé. Your boys here, obviously, Rosé Barons, amongst other things. Don't mind a rosé. Don't mind it. One that's light, in colour, dry, and fuckable. It's very fuckable. It's up for it. You know what I mean? Oh, this, mate, the rosé's up for it whenever you want it Well, type thing. The the beauty of being a rosé baron is I've always got rosé on hand, which is nice. And I've always got a bottle in the fridge just getting cold as fuck. We've always got a bottle that's keen. Keen as. Giving me eyes. Yeah, yeah. And fuck me eyes. Yeah, yeah, real fuck well, me drink eyes. Me a eyes. lingering stare. Yes. And had friends over the other night, and obviously I was like, I slipped a bottle out for everyone. Getting stares? Getting, I was getting stares. It was sort of like whistling at me from the fridge. <laughs> Got out there, ripped the top off it, and we all enjoyed it. And I'm just like, Jesus, dude. Like, they're just, a rose doesn't get better. Still rose drinking season two. It's, In earnest. Oh, God, yeah. It's Should fucking hot as shit. 37, 38. They're talking 40 this week, mate. 40 degrees. Tell me that's not rosé drinking season? It is. If you Come haven't got on. any, If you haven't got any, get some. Get some now. While the getting's good, because the getting won't be good for much longer. Hellosport.shop. Big day rosé. Get You're it. welcome. Get, get it down. You gob. <laughs>